Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Today we are joined by a special guest. You see him on Fox Sports Ohio during the pre and post games for not only the Blue Jackets, but also the Cincinnati Reds. Brian Giesenslaw joins us. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Glad to do it. We're also joined by Pale Dragon. PD, how's it going? Good. How are you, Will? Doing well. And we're also joined by Elaine Shercliffe. What's up, Elaine? So, Brian, I'll go ahead and kind of start us off. First off, just kind of talk about how you've been doing and how you've been passing the time. You know, obviously, we'd all love to be watching the Blue Jackets, getting ready for the playoffs. But, of course, right now, we're just looking to get past the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, it's just like everybody else. I think it's just trying to figure out uh, what to do. And I think even more than that, how to pace yourself, right? So, you know, you've heard everybody say that, if we had an, an end date or a resumption date for the season, uh, then you could kind of plan for that. But not having any idea when or if any of that stuff happens, like I said, everybody's got their lists at home of things that they need to do, should do, and want to do. And I think just trying to pace yourself, adjust to life with the kids at home right now from school and with everybody in here together uh, we've been doing what everybody else is doing. We've we've kind of we've got a loose structure for the family, and then we've got you know the days where it's not pouring rain and everybody's trying to get outside and do some things just to, to get out of the house. So, like anybody else that unfortunately right now isn't working, we're just trying to figure it out and work our way through it. Definitely. All right, hey Brian. So. What is your now? Obviously, I don't know. You're probably not privy to any more information than that we are, or not much more information. But what do you think is the possibility that um, be able to finish out the regular season, or do you think they'll jump right to the playoffs, or, or do you think the season might just get canceled entirely? What What are your thoughts on how that's leaning? Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys, and I I read as much as I can read from from people that are probably hearing a lot more things than than most of us are. And I think it's just impossible to tell. The only thing that we can all, I think, probably agree on is that every day we get a little bit deeper into this and you hear a little bit more about how the country and the world is coping. I think every day we get a little bit deeper, 
your perspective changes a little bit, right? We were, you know, we were set to play games in an empty arena on March 11th, and by March 12th, uh, that went to no game at all and then no season, but maybe we thought it would, you know, pick back up in a reasonable amount of time. And, and now obviously with the news, you know, around the world that we hear every day, who knows, uh, you know, you can't let yourself, the thing that I keep telling myself and, and people that I talk to is you can't let yourself get caught up in trying to figure it out and go, uh, well, maybe this is the time, but at the same time, you have to allow for all the possibilities. And I think those possibilities get a little bit bigger and they grow each and every day in terms of what we might not have thought was possible a few weeks ago or even a few days ago. You know, now it seems like everything's on the table in, in terms of whether or not the season picks up, like you said, or where it picks up or if it picks up at all. So what kind of went through your mind, though, when they said that they would play in front of fans <laughs> and then next thing you know, it was canceled? Like for me, I'm the Monsters Beat reporter. Yeah. And I was excited at the prospect of kind of covering something that people had never seen before, like playing mm-hmm. in front of no fans. And then all of a sudden yeah. it was like no games. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. I, and I was actually talking to Jean-Luc about this the other day. And he said the same thing is when that all first started, we thought, okay, this is, this is certainly not good for anyone and uh, certainly not good to have an empty arena, but to be a part of something like that and try to figure that out was, yeah, it was, in, it was intriguing, I think, professionally. And, uh, you know, even stepping away from sports a little bit, my kids, uh, I've got a couple of teenagers and an 11-year-old, and, you know, one of my oldest said, you know, God, Dad, this is this is kind of the first thing that's happened to us in our lifetime, and they're exactly right. You know, they've this is this is one of those things that uh, impacts everyone. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it impacts a lot of people and is impacting people right now in a in a really negative way. But this is kind of the first moment in their lives that they'll remember, and I think you can apply that to sports too. And let me say this again: if I didn't say this off the top, I'm in the camp that. You know, sports is is my living. It's my passion. This is what I do. But it so doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things right now, right? And so I, I, I've had to catch myself, you know, when you look at Twitter and you look at people and everybody's lamenting the fact that, you know, opening day for baseball the other day, oh, I miss baseball. And yes, we miss hockey, all those things. It's okay to miss the things that we love. But let's keep the perspective that there are people sick, there are people working, there are people unfortunately losing their life uh and hopefully that gets better but right now some perspective i think is something we can all use and every once in a while i think we have to reel ourselves back in and and realize that that's what we're talking about exactly yeah um so back to the blue jacket even though the season is not officially over what were some of the thoughts you've had on the 2019-20 blue jackets watching them every night for the past 70 games (laughs) <laughs> amazing um and, and you know for a it, it it is it's just amazing because you go back and if this team as it was constructed when the season started had everything go right people still thought they weren't a playoff team and wouldn't be interesting and would really struggle I mean let's just face it with the players that they lost and how all that transpired and what was coming back and the fact that 
you know, the only real known commodity that they added was Gus Nyquist, and and as great of a player as he is, and as great of a fit as he's been for this team, you know, he wasn't looked at as uh, a huge difference maker for a team. And then to see them not only lose most of those players that were being counted on to be the guys that might help them uh, weather the storm, so to speak, uh, and then to be where they are and to have the stories emerge that have come out of it, uh, you know, like Elvis Merzlikens, it's, it's been amazing how they've held it together, how John Tortorella and the coaching staff has somehow, and the word you heard so much from him was uh, belief, somehow gotten this group to believe that everything that's happened to them, that they can continue to play well and win. It's amazing. So if they finish this season, you know, anybody's season, if it gets finished right now, is probably not going to look a lot like it looked when the season shut down. You just can't take whatever amount of time off and then account for all the factors that were in play before and all the new factors that would be in play if they start back up. But if you wrote the story of this season as a 70-game season and that the Jackets are in a playoff spot when things shut down, that to me is still one of the most amazing stories. It's not going to get national headlines, but that's an amazing story having seen this team up close uh, for the last you know four or five months. Definitely. So I was curious, how did you get into the job that you do have, and what would you be doing if you weren't in sports? <laughs> uh, I was the kid... Uh, like so many of us, and probably some of you guys too, that uh, just loved it so much, loved sports when I was a kid so much, and played everything that I could play. Uh, and I grew up in a small town in Texas, so my options were kind of limited to high school football and high school football. Um, but uh, loved it and, and you know, was, was good but not great. And once I realized and got a little you know, grasp on reality that I wasn't going to uh, you know, play professionally and, and probably not in college, like everybody else in that position, I just wanted to find some way to be close to it and to be around it. And so, you know, I started the path. I'll try and make this a short story, but I started and did what it, a lot of people do. And I, I wrote a letter to my favorite local sportscaster in Waco, Texas. And I went and kind of shadowed him in high school and then, uh, you know, did the internships in college and stayed in touch with some people. And so local TV was kind of where I started. I spent uh, some years in Dallas at a, at a statewide cable network. Uh, then I came to Cincinnati to do local TV. But, you know, almost as soon as I got here, was able to, to chip in and, and dip my toe in Fox Sports Ohio a little bit while I was doing my local job. On and on. And then uh, the interesting part, and maybe it's just interesting to me, maybe it's not interesting to anybody else, but... How, how hockey came about is, you know, I obviously didn't grow up with hockey. Um, I was in Dallas when the Stars were good, when the Stars won the Cup. Uh, I was in Dallas, but outside of doing highlights, wasn't really covering the team. Uh, and so when I started working at Fox Sports Ohio, I was freelancing mostly with the Reds and doing some stuff, was kind of a fill-in guy for them and doing some feature stories for them. Um, and I... I thought of a million things that I could pitch them on that hopefully I could do uh, to kind of grow my role there. And the only thing I didn't pitch them on was hockey. And that was kind of the first thing they called me back with and said, uh, you know, some things were changing then. And, and I was, I was up front. I said, look, that's, that's impossible. Uh, and they said, listen, we need 
first off, they said, we believe in you that, you know, you can grow into the sport in terms of your knowledge and, and how you can see the game. But they said, we have analysts, we have former players, uh, you know, we need someone at this point in time, they wanted someone to kind of uh, host a show, be a host. And I said, you know, well, that that's something I can do, but I wanted to be very upfront with everybody that, you know, it's going to take me some time. I can do the TV part of it, but it'll take me some time to get the hockey part of it. And fortunately, I had a lot of very supportive people in place uh, who helped me and taught me and were patient with me. And uh, seven years later, I'm certainly not, you know, I'm certainly not where I want to be or where I hope to be someday by any regard. But it's been uh, the, the kid from Texas. Uh, hockey has been one of the greatest revelations in my professional life, and I love it. And uh, it's, it's changed my life in a lot of ways, and it's been great. Uh, what would I be doing? I would love to coach. Uh, I still loved coaching my kids, although I, because of my schedule, I never got to do that as much as I wanted to. Uh, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, I just love to coach and would love to do that and just haven't gotten to do that as much as I would like to. Uh, but that's, that's my other thing, which, you know, kind of also falls certainly into the umbrella of, you know, sticking close to the games. So I was curious, do you have any, I guess, advice for those who would want to work yeah. in sports or? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was, when I was younger, the, you know, the, the speech you always got from, uh, you know, employers or potential employers who were trying to dump on everybody's dreams was, you know, oh, you'll never get a job. There are so few jobs, you know, uh, you know, look for something else. And, and now I'm just the opposite. I, I tell people who ask me, young people who ask me, there are more opportunities in sports, in sports broadcasting now than there have ever been before. I mean, in, you know, just think about all the different ways, whether it's television, radio, podcast, online. Uh, certainly the landscape has changed in a lot of ways. And, and some of it has, has been tough because, you know, when things change, some things go away. But in the, in the case of sports, a million new things have shown up on the landscape. And so there's a lot of opportunity there. I tell people, uh, you know, it's not a revelation, but yeah, just reach out to people that you respect. Reach out to people that you enjoy what they do. Pick their brains a little bit uh, and stay in touch with people and be persistent. Because the one thing I told people when people were telling me as a young guy back in the day, uh, you know, find something else. I just kept thinking, you know what? Somebody's getting these jobs, right? Somebody's going to end up with these jobs. And, uh, you know, I think it can be me or I think it can be, you know, somebody else. So just view it that way. And if you really are passionate about it, if you really do believe that that's what you want to do and that's what you're cut out to do, you know, chase it for as long as you can. And, and, uh, I know people who've done it both ways, some people who gave up and certainly have, have done some great things in other fields, and some people who just never uh, stopped, and they're doing well, too. So uh, that's my little pep talk for whoever might ask. That's, that's really great advice. So when you started hosting for the Jackets, you got to be paired up with Bill Davidge, you know, veteran <laughs> hockey broadcaster, hockey lifer. You know, what was it like working with him, and what did, how did he help you to become a, a hockey broadcaster? What did you learn from him about the game? Yeah, man, what did I not learn from him? But let me say this first, because, okay, so this is my seventh year doing the Jackets, and year one, year one, it was me on the desk. It was me and Dan Kamal. Oh, uh, yeah. 
And I would be, it would be completely off base when I'm telling this story about, you know, the last seven years. When I mentioned earlier those people that were so supportive and helped me in so many ways, Dan Kamal and our producer, Travis Williams, who's still the producer of the pre and the post game show uh, today, were the two people I leaned on. And they were fantastic. And listen, I've told them before and I've told the story. They could have very easily made life really difficult for me, for the new guy. You know, they, they were under no obligation to help me. You know, they could have looked at me and my resume and, and blown it off and go, this is not going to work. And I'm sure not going to help him make it work. And they were completely the opposite. They were both, Travis still is, and uh, Dan Kamal certainly was at the time. That was just year one. After that, then yeah, Billy, uh, Billy came down to the desk and I was terrified uh, because, you know, I thought, okay, you know, he's been doing color uh, and he's also a hockey lifer. He's a player, he's a coach, he's a teacher, he's all these things. So now I, you know, I kind of halfway earned the trust of this little small group that I had in, in year one. And now how, how in the world do I measure up to a guy like Bill Davidge? And he was fantastic, as you guys and most people that know Billy would expect him to be. Um, and sitting next to him for five years, I learned more about hockey. I learned more about people. Uh, I just learned everything that you could possibly learn from someone. And I have no greater respect for anyone than I do for Billy. And to this day, he's still a really, really good friend that I stay in contact with even now that he's retired. Uh, but think about that. You, I mean, you guys know what the broadcast looked like back then. Uh, Billy and his X's and O's and his Telestrator and his crazy coaching enthusiasm <laughs> that he never, you know, it never, you, there, there wasn't a, a switch to flip that you could say, you know, Coach Davidge. Uh, when he was coaching was exactly who you saw on the air. And the funny thing was, it's exactly who you saw, you know, when we would be in the studio watching games when they're on the road and we're watching the game in a conference room and he's yelling at the TV and he's pointing out to me and to Travis exactly what's going wrong and who's not skating and who's not checking and who's not doing this. And, it was just a blast, but it was also, it was what I needed because I, I respond to people like that in terms of teaching and coaching. And so, you know, listening and watching Billy do that for five years was, was probably the most fun, you know, that I've had to this point doing this. And, uh, you know, I still check with him. I, during the, uh, you know, all this stuff going on with the Jackets, you know, we talk every now and then and certainly text a good bit. He'll text me during a show or during a game Right now, because he's, he's in Florida and he's still watching and he sees something that, you know, sets off a, you know, he hits DEFCON 5 pretty fast and he can't wait to, he has to express it to someone. And so I get all these all caps, uh, exclamation point texts from Billy during a game, but it's the same observations and the same things that he would share with me when we were watching it. Uh, and I love it, but I still, I would check with him and I'd go, hey, Billy, what do you think about this? You know, you're, you're watching these guys, you know, tell me what your viewpoint has been watching and it's been invaluable. So I, I love Billy to death. And uh, that that was really a really fun five years uh, sitting next to him and, and learning so much from him. Yeah, I, uh, I got to meet him just once at a uh, autograph signing. And <laughs> I was struck by just how much he was exactly like he was on air. Yep. It's just an incredibly warm person made me believe that he didn't want to talk to anyone else at that moment besides me. 
Yeah. I thought that that was really, really cool. Well, when he retired and, and you know, when he, he was dealing with cancer and when he retired, if, if you guys followed kind of last season and how it, you know, the whole, all the goodbyes and everything, it was unbelievable, uh, you know, just a steady stream of people all season long, but definitely late in the season last year that came by. And, you know, the, the beauty of what Billy does is, you know, so many of them he remembered. He could remember names and faces, which is, which is amazing. But even the people that you don't remember that he had some chance encounter with would show up with a story like that of something he said to them or how he responded to, to something that they asked. And it meant so much to them. And even then, as he's going through hundreds and hundreds of people, he never... There was never a moment when he didn't look people in the eye and make them feel like he cared about what they were saying. And that's a very rare quality to be able to do that. And he did that right up until the last day he was on the desk. Uh, and I respect the heck out of that. I did at the time and I still do. Um, he's, a, he's a special person aside from what he meant to me professionally for sure. All right. So shifting gears to this season. Yep. Now you're paired up with Jean-Luc Rampier. Love long it. Time, long time friend of this podcast. Right? <laughs> He's great. Um, He's great. So, so how has it? How is it? Uh, how have things been different than going from like a veteran broadcaster to someone who's new to working on TV? How do you think he's done in his rookie season? And uh, and have have, think, have you noticed any changes as the season has gone on in terms of his how he's performed? It's been awesome. And and here was another big unknown. Uh, in, in terms of how this was going to play out, because um, I, you know, I kind of felt like I, I knew that uh, you know the Jackets and and Fox Ohio were, were talking to various people as they should when when Billy retired, um, and I knew he was in the mix, but I kind of uh, you know I kind of tried to lay low until I felt like they knew which direction they were going to go and 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 that it was going to end up being John Luke on the desk. And, you know, I knew him. We'd had him on the show a couple of times, and I'd seen him around the rink and talked to him, but just small talk. I didn't really know him. Um, and so here we go with this guy, and right from the start, it was so fun. And it's, before we ever got on the air, and we didn't, get, we didn't really get any practice on the air together until the season started. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm, I was doing baseball uh, and he was busy, and the first time that we got to be at the desk and on the air together was we cut a couple of preseason shows uh, in late September, and so obviously those weren't live; those were, you know, those were recorded, and they were in the studio. And almost as soon as we got started, you know, I knew just from talking to him off set, okay, this is this is going to be great. And every day since then, it's just gotten a little bit better. So, so you guys, you guys know. John Luke and how fun he is. And so also so we go from from Billy's perspective as a coach to now the former player perspective which really excited me just to be cuz I see my role a lot is look I, I you got to know the strength of the person sitting next to you and then in my role it's ask the right questions or lead them in the right direction to get the most out of their perspective. And so, you know, I, I started trying to do that with him right away and I knew he was going to be good. So you're right. He didn't know the TV part. Uh, and that was new and that was different. But the people that we work with and, and certainly my perspective and the people in the studio, you know, within a few shows, they were going, oh, this guy's going to be fine. This guy's going to be great. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt that, uh, you know, he's, he's easy to look at. Uh, he certainly, you know, looks like a Greek god and dresses like GQ. 
uh, you know, that's a good that's a good start. But if you don't have some substance in what you say to back it up, then it's going to fall flat. And it's never fallen flat with him. It's only continued to allow him to grow. And I, I told him right from the start, I said, it's not brain surgery. Be yourself and let's have fun. And I said, look, you, get, you need to know this about me. I said, my thing is not shtick. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be cracking jokes all night or trying to come up with a catchphrase or something we can say, but I'm going to have fun. We're going to laugh and we're going to enjoy what we do. And as soon as he and I kind of felt each other out on, and he knew the direction that I was coming from and I knew, you know, what he was going to do, it just started to click. And then the next night it clicked a little bit more. And then a week later it clicked and we, you know, we talked uh, off air a lot. And I just needed to get to know him, and he needed to get to know me. And now uh, he's, you know, he's one of the people I talk to most. Great friend, and I can't wait to get back on the desk with him. But I think people have seen, and let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest. Who wants to follow Bill Davidge in that role, right? Right. I don't. It could. <laughs> right. No one. No one would. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to be that guy to sit in that chair after Billy had been in that chair for so long. And John Luke knew that, and they're friends. And Billy pushed. For Jean-Luc to get this job. Um, but it was tough. And people could have uh, you know, held that standard. The, the build, but they're two different people. And they operate two different ways. And both of them work really well. But Jean-Luc took that head on. Faced it. Uh, became himself. Found kind of his voice on the air. And he's still finding it. You know, it's, it's barely one year in. But he found it really quickly. And he and I have so much fun, and I think he said this to somebody when when he was talking to uh, someone who was doing a story, if you could see how much we laugh in commercials or off the air or while we're watching a game, um, I think that's why it works, because we just enjoy hanging out and talking about the games. But he's, uh, I, I hope he and I get to do this for a long time, because he's been a blast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And you kind of led into this, but I was just curious while you were talking with, you know, working with Bill and working with John Luke, um, 
you guys always seem to project positivity no matter what's happening during the game, for instance, and it could be, let's say it's a bad game. I was just kind of curious, when you guys are watching and you're kind of off camera, is it more of a challenge, I guess, to kind of still project that positive outlook or... Or do you, do you guys even have to watch yourselves as far as not feeling like, say, the team is <laughs> playing bad yeah. and not necessarily being angry, mm-hmm. but, you know, just trying to keep that same calm demeanor? I was just, I was just curious about that. It's, it's something that, listen, it, the, the thing that, I, that I've told John Luke and that Billy and I always agreed on is, uh, you know, we have to be honest. We have to have credibility. Our, our you know, our broadcast, we're, we're a team partner broadcast, and certainly that means a little bit something different than uh you know than it, if, if it was the other way around but you have to be honest and I think what we tried to do and what Jean-Luc and I try to do is uh you know we're not going to bury anyone but he has and Billy had the credibility to say some things that I have n- no chance of being able to say uh so like I told you before I can try to guide the conversation and and Billy for sure you know I would know what he was hot about you know watching the game I could tell what he was you know what pushed his buttons and I can kind of lead him into that and then it was his role to say what he wanted to say if it was critical if it was constructive but if it was just simply acknowledging and pointing out something that wasn't going well or something the team wasn't doing well or something that contributed to this loss or hey, they've lost all these games in a row. What do they need to do to get back? Yes, we have to. We we frame things uh, in a way that we never bury anybody or pile on. But you have to be honest. And both of those guys have done a great job and have the credibility to say some things uh, that I think fall into those categories. And both of them, you know, you've you've heard former athletes that that decide to get into broadcasting. People always say, you know, will they be critical of, of guys they played with? Will they be critical of, of guys that they have a relationship with? Uh, I think both Billy and John Luke have done a fantastic job of that. And it's my job to kind of get them to that point. And then it's my job to kind of turn the conversation back the other direction when they're done. But they're, yeah, we're, we're fans. Are we fans? Absolutely. Do we get, do we, do we enjoy it more when they win? You, you better believe we do. Do we get upset when they're losing? Do we get upset when you see, uh, you know, a team that doesn't play as well as it could? Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, that's not the role that we should take onto the air. You've got to have a filter and you've got to filter it professionally and deliver it professionally. And I think those guys have definitely done that. In reference to transitions, you know, you transitioned into this position and then Jean-Luc did. Do you think the fans helped, at least from a welcoming standpoint? They seem Blue Jackets fans seem to handle <laughs> most changes very well. I've noticed. Listen, it uh, it absolutely helps, and you know, and anybody responds well to to positive feedback. But the thing that uh, that I think both of us face, so you you know, you bring up a good point. Is I was new to the sport at one point. Jean Luc was new to television and commenting on the game. And so I think both of us, you know, certainly went through a period of not wanting to, uh, you know, what's the right way to say it, is just wanting to gain respect and credibility as quickly as we could. No one wants to come into a situation that they're unfamiliar with and get exposed for any reason, right? So, uh, you know, when I started, it was, man, you have to, you have to learn the game 
You have to learn the things about it that you're not familiar with. Uh, you know, don't be, don't open yourself up to being exposed in some way because, uh, you know, hockey fans, any sport, but hockey, hockey specifically, uh, you know, they want the people that are talking about their teams to know what they're talking about. They want them uh, to come off as someone that they can trust in every possible way. And if you let that slip or if you get off on the wrong foot, it's hard to make that up. If your first impression is not good, it's hard to make that up with a fan base. Uh, both of us, I think, early on felt enough positivity and enough feedback from, from fans and people that we trusted that it was able to kind of keep us going and keep us on the right path to continuing to get better. But yeah, that's important. And especially, you know, at the games, when you sit where we sit, you know, you're right. with you're with the fans. And so you you hear a lot of different things. And if they don't like you, they'll tell you they don't like you. Or if they don't <laughs> like something you said, they're right there. Uh, you can't hide. But that's good because there's accountability there and it keeps you professionally on your toes, I think, and keeps you kind of striving to get uh, to the next level and kind of maintain whatever respect you've gained. Now, are there any specific players or staff that you've kept up with since this been, has been on hiatus? And how much do you miss seeing Jean-Luc on a daily basis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let me go to that one first. So he and I were, he and I were texting yesterday uh, just because we're, you know, throughout this year and then certainly since we've both been home a lot, we're, you know, we're learning more about our family life and our home life. Uh, and our, our wives have, you know, we've done dinner together with the wives. And so, we, you know, we did that during the season. And, and so we, you know, we kind of built a, a relationship that way. But, uh, you know, he's texting me pictures of him and his dog. <laughs> so he has, you guys, if you've seen it on Twitter or on Instagram <laughs> or whatever, he's got this little lap dog, this three-pound ankle biter uh, named, named Gus, uh, which – and. And somebody, I can't remember who it was, I think Metz said on the air one night when he was talking to uh, Vladislav Gavrikov about his dog, Metz said, why do all hockey players have these little tiny dogs? You know, you would expect, everybody, you would expect, but, and, and I went, I'm sitting next to a hockey player who has a tiny dog. Uh, and so I sent him back, I sent him back yesterday a picture of me and my dog, who's a big choc- big chocolate lab and runs with me and, you know, rides in the back of my truck. And, uh, we were talking about our dog. I miss, I miss those conversations. And he called me a couple of days ago and we talked just to catch up. Uh, yeah, I definitely miss seeing my partner and, and seeing my good friends and everybody who works on the broadcast. Uh, I miss that as far as keeping up with people, uh, checked in with you know with other people that we work with. Um, Jean Luc has kind of been my connection to a few of the people you know inside the organization. He talks to more people that way than I do, and so you know he kind of filters some of that down to me. Uh, texted with Mets a little bit last night, uh, and certainly Billy and and uh, and our producer Travis. But um, and we actually decided that hopefully this week, or maybe I decided because I'm the one who pitched it. I said, look, we got to. We need to do, uh, everybody's doing their Zoom happy hour, you know, we need to do that with the hockey group. I did it with some people from the Reds a few nights ago, and that was fun. And so, yeah, we all need to keep up with people we work with and with friends that we have. And hopefully, uh, you know, we can do that safely right now and then get back to to working together and doing the fun things that we've always done. But I miss those guys. And, uh, 
And yeah, you got to stay in touch. It's it's the way I think we'll all kind of stay sane during this this time away. Right? Isn't technology great? Oh we were man! All watching like movies and stuff together <laughs> from far away. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. In addition to handling the pre and post game duties for the Blue Jackets, you're also a co-host for the Cincinnati Reds for Reds Live on Fox Sports Ohio. So I was curious how obviously how that's impacted or been impacted for you as far as, you know, no baseball season. And also under normal circumstances, what is it like when hockey season overlaps with baseball for you? Yeah, and that's that's what's been craziest about right now is, uh, you know, this is typically the craziest time of year. Because even if the Jackets don't make the playoffs, the seasons overlap for, you know, sometimes a week, 10 days, something like that. But with them making the playoffs the last three years, um, you know, March and April and last year into May, uh, you know, it's nuts. And so to go from doing both for a period of time and, and driving to Columbus for home games and being here for baseball games and pretty much working every day, you know, when the when the seasons overlap, you go from that to nothing. So that's that's been the other kind of, you know, harsh reality for me is, um, you know, I was, you know, we hit early in mid March and thinking about the end of the season and the Jackets potentially being in the playoffs again. I'm I'm kind of bracing myself physically and, you know, emotionally for the grind of the next couple of months, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but being able to do both. Um, but then the plug gets pulled and, and you go to nothing. So um, it's unique, but I, I love doing both. Um, absolutely love doing both and have been unbelievably blessed to do both because, um, you know, I'm not going to take any of that for granted. It's just worked out that way. But, um, you know, summers of baseball are outstanding. And then hockey and, you know, to be able to, to do that in the other half of the year, uh, I definitely uh, have the best of both worlds that way. Uh, speaking of the Reds, now I, I'm a uh, I'm an Indians fan, but from afar <laughs> I I I, uh, I do respect the how aggressive the Reds have been over the last year and a half yeah. in terms of bringing in talent, uh, Castellanos, Mustakis, Bauer. So, uh, w- what are your thoughts about the the 2020 Reds and, and the outlook for that team? Whatever baseball does come back. Yeah, no, that's kind of the cruel part of this whole thing is, um, you know, the Jackets for whatever happens you know, got most of their regular season in and, and certainly would all like to see how it would have played out. But this was the first season, you know, probably since 2013 that the Reds were legitimately excited for the start of the season. Last year, it certainly started to turn and they had done some things that, you know, there, there was certainly optimism there starting last year, but then kind of what they established last year with David Bell in his first year. And then certainly, like you said, the fact that they spent money and spent a lot of money uh, for the first time ever in an off season. And I, and I think even more than that, you know, people always throw out the dollar figure. It's $163 million or something in that neighborhood. Even more than the dollar figure, it was just the fact that all of the things that they did with that money in the off season just seemed to make sense. I don't think they, they didn't overcommit. They didn't reach when they could have reached. You know, they had money to spend and guys were, guys were coming out of the free agent market. They didn't reach for anything that didn't make sense or didn't fit or wasn't a clubhouse fit. Certainly all that's on paper, but it just felt like they were good, sound decisions for what they're trying to build here. 
And so they were ready. I talk, I didn't get to go to spring training this year, but I talked to some guys obviously who were who were out there the entire time and they said, "Look, the you know, for the first time in a long time, there was a real sense and a real tangible air at spring training that this is a team that believed it could it could win." And so I think, you know, if if they get back to it, I think I think that's going to be something that's going to be really fun to watch to see if, in fact, it all comes together the way that it kind of feels like it will. Um, but who knows? But that's, you know, this is a this is a city that that, you know, is starving for a winner. You know, when, when you've got, you know, the Bengals and the Reds, the Reds have certainly been there uh you know, longer and have established, you know, this, this desire for baseball to succeed here. And it's been a while. It's been tough. It's been tough the last five, six years. And this was a year that I think has a really good chance to, to kind of turn things in a much better direction. And not just for this year, they're set up pretty well for the next few years. And I think they recognize that. And that's why they spent the money. Just from a, a Cubs fan perspective, real fast, <laughs> you guys got a really, you guys got really good people in uh, Pedro Strope and uh, Nick Castellanos. Yeah. So it'll be fun. I hope the Reds, you know, I do hope that they uh, can kind of turn it around once the season does resume. Of course, I hope the Reds are able to, yeah, uh, bring some joy to their fans. Yeah, thank you for Strope and uh, and Castellanos. We appreciate. Yeah, it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, listen. The, the, and the one thing I've heard about Castellanos, and I haven't been around him yet, but certainly. You know, having watched him play, and then I talked to some people, obviously, who were in Arizona. Um, just the fact, you know, every, every guy doesn't have to have the same personality, and I and I think that's that's wrong when you build a clubhouse and you try to make everybody the same. Everybody has to fall under the same, you know, desire to win. But what what I've heard and seen, and people that have talked to him, uh, the guy just wants to win every day. And the and and everybody talks about it, and everybody says that, but you can tell the guys that it's just different for them, and the Reds need guys like that that just burn and want to beat somebody, and and winning and wanting to beat people. I think maybe you're maybe you're splitting hairs there, but I think there's a difference, and some guys want to beat you, and some guys hope to win, and there's a big difference between those two, and from what I hear and see. Uh, if everything, if he holds it all together and, 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 and the Reds get back on the field, I think that's going to be fun to watch. Well, as a Cleveland fan, every time we played Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, I would hate when he'd come up to the plate because he was never yeah. easy out. Yeah. <laughs> he, never. I realized how, yeah, I saw it up close. Well, you know, from a distant close, uh, perspective last late last season, I saw just how good he was. Cause you know, in Detroit, the team was bad and it was kind of hard to see like just how, you know, like you mentioned the winning, the attitude that he had, it was kind of infectious so. yeah yeah we'll see but that's 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 impressed me and I did spend some time uh on the Reds caravan in January I was on a bus with Mike Moustakas for a couple of days so I spent some time with him and different personality but deep down same kind of guy you know he's 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 been there and he's seen it and you know he he just wants to win and I think in talking to him he you know the people in the clubhouse already, and kind of the, the cast that they've assembled. He was he was pretty high on on joining this group, and and I think that was another really good pickup. The Reds, you know, they've they've been missing some of those guys for the last few years, and I I, I think they got some some key uh, gaps filled in in the last season and a half. So in our house, 
My dad and I are huge Cubs and Indians fans. My mom's a huge Reds fan. Oh, there you us, go. Right? But all of us are like huge Trevor Bauer fans. <laughs> so my mom was really happy when he went down there. Yeah. But he's, we love him because of his personality and the way he sees the game. Mm-hmm. He knows he's not the best pitcher by far at all, but he can see things um, and, and coach them. And is that a kind of guy that you'd like to be able to cover who has this personality? Um, is he one of the more um, outspoken characters you've had to cover in sports, or have there been ones that stick out more than him? Well, think about it. I mean, you guys, I think all of us, yeah, you, you, you gravitate to the guys who are interesting, especially, especially in baseball when it's every day and it's 162 games for six plus months. You can't, you can only say the same thing so many times, but that's right. kind of, you know, that's kind of the mold of so many players who are reluctant to, you know, show a certain, kind of personality or to say anything outside of your sports cliches and they have every right to say what they want to say like I said when you when you get asked the same question over and over again you know we shouldn't be surprised that we get the same answer but to your point um, yeah you absolutely love guys like that now is uh, you know watching him this offseason he's taken it to a different level you know with his with his momentum channel and uh, you know he was he was on real sports on HBO. Uh, I think last month, um, you know, he's always been outspoken. He's taken it to a different level. But I, I love guys like that uh, because they have something to say and something that they want to say and they're available. Um, then absolutely, you know, give me a soundbite on TV uh, that isn't the same soundbite that we've had from every other player for every other game, whether it's hockey or baseball or whatever the sport. Give me something that's interesting and that's what we love about torts, right? Right. Because, because he's not every other coach. He's not going to give you coach speak ever, ever. And so, you know, in TV, we say, you know, that's TV gold. When you get, when you get a head coach or a player that you know when you need someone to say something and you know you need something real, you know you have somebody you can go to. Uh, so torts. Trevor Bauer, at least in you know in the short dealings, you know when we had him last season for half a season, uh, you know you get that sense. Um, and there 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 are other players that I've dealt with that that fall into that category. But yeah, give me something that that matters. There are too many games and there are too many you know generic vanilla interviews. Give me something where somebody wants to say something. Uh, you have to be prepared that it might sometimes. Uh, you know, be inflammatory or it might be something that you don't necessarily want to get into if you're giving them that opportunity. But let's not beat them up for saying something original or something that is their opinion when we crave that every other day of the week. Right. Um, In all of your career from when you first started even interning, what is the most memorable moment that you've had in your career? I'll give you a couple of things. I want to say it was 97 or 98. Uh, I was on the field in Austin, Texas at the University of Texas when Ricky Williams broke the NCAA rushing record. Tony Dorsett was on the sideline. He was breaking Tony Dorsett's record. 
Uh, and I spoke to Dorsett not long after the record was broken. And I think it happened on a long touchdown run. And I was standing with a photographer in the end zone. So that was just kind of one of those things where uh, it happened. And I was very close when it all happened. And the stadium's going crazy. So that was cool. And then uh, being in the Reds clubhouse uh, for a couple of those division clinching champagne you know, celebrations was kind of an eye opener. Uh, so that was cool. And I'm certain, I'm absolutely certain I'm forgetting something, but, uh, those, those were great moments. And then people asked me just recently, uh, and certainly most recently we had the, uh, there were people at the rink. Uh, it was the, the ladies night, the hockey and her, uh, they asked John Luke and I the same question. And, and my immediate reaction was, you know, last season in the playoffs, uh, four games against Tampa and clinching that series, that was that was off the charts. And I, I, I try to relate that to people, what that was like to be in the building for those games. So unreal. <laughs> um, that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that and you know that's something that you you have to be inside the building to really even you can't describe that to somebody. You just can't. Right. Oh yeah, no, I feel that. Because I can't describe the Calder Cup championship. I can't describe how excited yeah. People were when the Monsters beat the Syracuse Crunch just days after they the Jackets swept their parent team. Like it was such a it was such a dream last year. You yeah, know? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was it was unbelievable, and that's that's uh, that's there. But yeah, going back, you and there there are some. You know, there are other moments, I think, that you remember when you, you know, when you got to speak with someone that, you know, maybe you idolized or it wasn't really an interview. You just had a conversation. There there are moments like that. But, you know, I'm all about people and the people that make an impression on me are are genuine. And uh, and and the people that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, they're it's tough for an athlete or it's tough for a coach. But to come across so many of those over the years that when you speak to them when the when the cameras aren't on and they're just real and genuine and cool people that that restores my faith in humanity because you know we've all dealt with athletes or coaches who are the complete opposite of that and that's you know i i don't enjoy that at all that's something we you know it's part of the gig but i don't enjoy that but when you find out or when someone tells me something about somebody that i interviewed before and i go you know, they know him personally. And I go, well, is, is he a good person or is she a good person? You know, what are they like? And when they affirm to me that that person that I interviewed is also a, you know, cool and nice, then I gain all kinds of new respect for that because that's, that, that kind of completes it for me. We're just about at the end, but I was just curious real fast if you had any funny stories from your career that come to mind. And now I'm curious too, any funny hmm. one-on-one torts moments maybe that you can speak to? <laughs> uh, gosh. With torts, I have, I have more often been in the third row snickering about something that, that happened with Mets or Hedger or, <laughs> you know... Those guys, and, and listen, I, I have such respect for the guys who are asking those questions every day because, listen, you don't, you don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. And, you know, you have, to, you have to ask questions and you have to have thick skin and, and uh, you know, sometimes you, 
you have to have it more than others, but I, I like those. Yeah, with torts, I, I, I don't think he and I have ever had any kind of one-on-one uh, <laughs> anything that stands out. Um, moments, funny moments. Uh, you've all seen the live shots in local TV uh, when the sprinklers come on at the wrong time on the field. That happened, that happened to me with the Houston Texans training camp in the late, well, it was probably early 2000s, uh, literally on a live, live broadcast. And someone standing nearby took traffic cones that were in the parking lot and tried to cover <laughs> a couple of the sprinkler heads. So that was funny. Um, you know, just regular stuff. I've, I've sneezed. I've, I've, I've done things on the air, but, um, God, I, yeah, given a little more time, I might be able to come up with something better, but right now that's, that's, that's all I got. I used to intern with the AAA jackets. And so I've seen how hockey has grown in Columbus. I was just wondering what your thoughts were on how much hockey has grown just in like five years. It is it's been crazy. Right. Well, that's that's the thing is, you know, um, you know, the better perspective is that I always measured everything by was was Billy, who was, you know, there in the late 90s. And just how hockey, you know, since he was uh, at Ohio State in the 70s and then at Miami in the 80s and 90s, you know, he he's the guy who could author the book on the growth of hockey in central Ohio. Um, but so I'd always ask him those questions. But, yeah, just in the time that I've been around them since 2013, um the the crazy thing is, is, you know, early on when I was doing that, there was always, you know, Portier or whoever would, you know, they would be writing about, you know, one day when, you know, these potential products of Columbus hockey reach the NHL. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got a handful of guys who have. And so watching it grow from that perspective and then, uh, you know, knowing what youth hockey is like and just you know, just even the following of the, you know, the NHL team, just the following of the blue jackets. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy because you're, you're still fighting that uphill battle of being a non-traditional market, right. And being a new team in the grand scheme of things, even though it's been 20 years, you know, people in Ottawa, you know, still don't think of Columbus as a hockey place, but it really has changed and it really has become that. And like you said, when you, flip open those rosters on some nights when, you know, when teams around the league are playing and you scroll down and, you know, look at the hometowns of everybody, you know, Columbus, Ohio's popping up here and there and it's going to continue to pop up more, I think. And it's uh, it's a testament to the people that have kind of grown this whole thing from the start, you know, at the youth level and, and right on up through the ranks. But uh, it's it's really cool to watch and, and I've enjoyed the heck out of it. Like I said, hockey has become something to me that's that's really special and it's been one of the big uh I'll call it a surprise because I never I never envisioned myself, you know, being involved in hockey this way and thankfully I am. Thank you for answering that. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I this was this was fun and like I said, it's, you know, for as much downtime as we all have, it's 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 good to talk, so I appreciate it. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. All right, take care. That's going to do it for us this week. A special thanks to Brian Giesenslaw for joining us. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and the Howlin' Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. 
She's also on tour right now, so go check her out at AngelaPerly.com. And you should also check out Angela Perley on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during this stay-at-home period. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCannon and comment on JacketsCannon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.